Hey, Aaron, did you send me a candle in the mail? No, why would I send you a candle? Well, I got this weird candle, and it says it's from you, but it's not your handwriting. It's called the Black Flame Candle, and it says if a virgin lights this candle, it'll resurrect some witches, but like... I fuck. I totally have sex. Lots of sex. So, you know, I'm just gonna like light it because I mean, it looks cool. It's nice and moody and it's Halloween season and I'm no virgin. Should you be doing that? Nah, dude, I've totally had sex. Lots of it. Uh, here we go. Click. All right. Lit it. Wait, all the shit in my house is like flickering now. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck are these three? Hello, Salem. My name's Winifred. What's yours? Oh shit! We got another great episode of Watch If You Dare. We are going to be doing everybody's motherfucking favorite, Hocus Pocus, Yay! to end the season Ooh, yes. of Spooks. Right in time for Halloween. Yeah, perfect cap off of our witch themed season of Spoop, which Heather proposed not Aaron. Yes, this was my perfect <laughs> idea. Thank you. I thought that, you know, it's Halloween. Halloween this year is going to look a little bit different from what I think a lot of us would hope Halloween would look like. So Halloween night, let's cut back, have some fun and watch this Halloween classic that I love very much. Hell yeah. And it counts as a horror movie. Yes. It's kinder trauma. I mean, it's a kinder trauma movie. You see a child get murdered by witches real quick in this movie. (laughs) Not baby murder. We're not three for three on baby murder, but we are three for three on children murder. Yeah. It was definitely more sinister than I remember. I just remember it being funny and there was definitely some elements of funny yet very sinister. Yeah, not quite the baby guacamole of the witch, but there is a baby <laughs> life force <laughs> draining. <laughs> There's way more jokes about fucking in this movie than I remember, I will say that. Yeah, there were two boob jokes that I don't remember oh, yeah. in this movie. Danny's yabos. 90s Disney. Yeah. As distressing about the jokes about fucking were the jokes about not fucking. <laughs> Specifically teenagers not fucking. <laughs> yeah. I will be completely honest. So the first time I remember watching this movie, it was elementary school and it was my birthday party and we were renting a movie from Blockbuster and I wanted to rent Hocus Pocus. We did rent it, but we did have one girl at the party was like, I can't watch this. It has witches in it. My mom doesn't let me watch witches. So guess who went to bed early? And I still rented Hocus Pocus. Because <laughs> I really wasn't being nice about that at all. That's pretty great. <laughs> but yeah, did not know what a virgin was. Had no idea. You know, virgins lighting the candle. What's a virgin? Don't ask me. I had, I had no idea. Well, uh, we're all going to learn together as we discuss <laughs> 1993's Hocus Pocus. But first, we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Let's go around and introduce our three guests so would you uh kick it off please yeah hey um i'm heather back again i was here uh for the witch now i'm back again to discuss hocus pocus also joining us is my best friend of 20 years which she corrected me the other day when i tried to say 15 we're <laughs> old now and it's been longer than 15 years um my Crystal. from the past <laughs> yeah. she was on our episode for the omen and is back again yeah Hey, I'm Crystal. I am really excited to talk about this episode. Also, one of my favorite 
Halloween movies for sure. Hell yeah. And then once again, we have the lovely Lauren back to discuss witchiness. Once again, yes. Yeah, first guest two twice in a row, actually. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I've been on three episodes. This is maybe number four. And I was curious. This is my number four also. Yeah. Number four. I was wondering if there was someone else that we were in the running for most (laughs) guests. Yeah, you and Heather are tied for most guest appearances now with this episode. Because, yeah, you are on Haxon. House. House and Session 9. Session 9, right? If you've made it this far and you don't know who the hell we are, by the way, this is episode 50. (laughs) Can't believe we made it. 50? This is episode 50. Hey, look at you guys. Yeah. We are Watch for Dare, a horror movie podcast uh, hosted by myself, a coward, and movie monster boy, Aaron, in which we discuss fears, phobias, and social relevancy of these horror movies and just how scary they are. Just if you're a newbie coming in at episode 50 for some reason, there you go. There's our little spiel. Well, this is a really good one. If you're definitely in the coward camp, this movie is a little frightening, but like I said, I watched it as an elementary student at my birthday party, so it's not that scary. You're gonna be fine. I watched it almost every single Halloween and Disney Channel probably played it even off Halloween, Mm -hmm. like from time to time as just like a Disney Channel original during the summers and everything. As a kid, I probably saw it at least 20 or 30 times. Same, yeah. It's maybe a little less scary than The Gate, but it's kind of in that same realm of kinder trauma, I'd say. I think I've watched this probably dozens of times like you guys as a kid on Disney Channel, but I hadn't seen it in at least five or six years, so it was interesting to go back and rewatch it um, as an adult. Yeah. Oh god, this is my first watch in probably over 15 years. This was a, a very nostalgic trip for me. Yeah, it, it, for whatever reason, yeah, it had been like three or four years since the last time I saw it. I used to watch it like almost every Halloween season, but it's been a minute. I have been guilty of continuing to voice this movie on to people as an adult, so I have seen it <laughs> a lot recently still. <laughs> this is like your eighth time this year alone. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so I am curious, how did it feel coming back to it? If you hadn't seen it in a long time, did you enjoy it as an adult? Or were you like, ah, oh, this wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be? What did you think? I definitely enjoyed it. I remembered a lot of it. There were certain things I remembered, like the Madonna bra, but I couldn't remember the exact scene, it, the mm-hmm. actual um, dialogue. But one thing I will say, it did hit me much harder emotionally. I do think there is this thing with Disney movies where as a kid, you watch it and you don't really absorb what's going on but with this watch going through and I mean we're kind of jumping the gun a bit here but with the beginning and everything that happens to Thackeray Binks which I always thought was them just pronouncing Zachary Binks really weird (laughs) and it actually is Thackeray Binks I, I did get a little bit emotional and I am not ashamed to say I cried at the end it did make <laughs> so I did enjoy it a lot. Yeah, this was one that uh, we used to watch pretty often growing up, and it was tame enough from a horror standpoint that we could always kind of get away with it. And we definitely had a religious house, so like my parents would kind of vacillate between like this has witches and like bad stuff in it to like ah, it's a kid movie, who cares? But yeah, we watched this one constantly growing up. You know, just every Halloween it was on, so I definitely have a lot of nostalgia for it, which I feel like most people around our age do 
do because we were exactly the age when it came out. Like, we all grew up with it. And I've heard from people older than us, yeah, I don't quite get it, you know. And there's definitely people younger than us that, like, also, eh, I don't quite get it. But this is always going to be kind of special to anybody in their, like, late 20s to late 30s, pretty much. And, you know, I'm curious to see kind of where it goes, which we'll talk about in a little while, too, as far as, like, the legacy of this movie is concerned. Yeah, I kind of had a similar reaction to Lauren, maybe even more so, because it'd been, like, probably, like I said, I'm not kidding when I said that it probably was 15 years, at least, since I've seen this. My wife, Savannah, once again, actually watched this one, just like Tremors, where uh, we were both having a good time, and I had a smile on my face the entire time I was watching this, because it was, like, a very much, oh, I do remember this now. Everything is all coming back to me at once. And then there are, like, now these new details that I just overlooked as a kid. Again, I just completely didn't catch the whole, like, oh, I couldn't pull that off. I don't have your begonias or whatever she says, the little girl, uh, making fun of him. That whole boob joke scene. I was just like, what the fuck? I don't remember this. He really likes your yabos. (laughs) Yabos, that's what it is. Yabos. And then just, like, all of the times where it's making fun at him for being a virgin kind of like tongue-in-cheek about it oh we've we've got notes on that jackass (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. the entire movie we were just clowning on this dude for just being a fuck up so yeah (laughs) we've got thoughts yeah i was just gonna say real quick my thing was that i had forgotten how much i hated max and then as soon as he was on screen i was like Oh, yeah, he sucks. Oh, no, you guys hated Max. Oh, man, I hate Max so so much. Definitely as a child, me, Thackeray Banks was number one hottie. Just gorgeous. Love that man. You know, really into Thackeray. And Max just, even as a kid, like, didn't do it for me. Just that too cool for school. I'm the most badass. Like, him swinging that bat around like, boy, come (laughs) on. He literally is the first one out every single time they face the witches and his little sister and the girl he likes has to save his damn ass every single time you didn't think that smooth pickup line at the beginning of the movie where he slips her his number you don't think that was smooth that is a little smooth but I love how she just gives it right back to me they're not fans of the star of adventures in dinosaur city so go figure (laughs) and also eerie indiana by the way he was the main character in eerie indiana I remember that show he was also in matinee which is another one that like we might get around to doing on this show eventually speaking of since this is like our episode dropping right before halloween let's do kind of a quick run around if anybody has any recommendations of things that they have either watched recently that they would like to recommend to people as kind of like a hey throw this on halloween spirit mood kind of thing or just something that you really like and are passionate about that we can recommend to listeners uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. Sure. I do just have one where on Netflix, I finally watched Sinister 2. And the first one is good. We just watched the first one last night. Yeah, actually. Aaron and I just watched Sinister. I wouldn't say that I like loved it or was over the moon about it, but I thought it was really good. And I think particularly the scene where, this isn't really a spoiler, but uh, Ethan Hawke's character is just sitting and watching the footage with his brandy or whatever it is. I thought that was kind of the best scene of the movie and kind of the standout. And so turned on Sinister 2, kind of looking for something similar. Those scenes in the movie where it cuts to the footage uh, were very good. 
but overall, the movie was just somewhat confused in what it was trying to say. It had this really interesting setup where the family was a uh, battered wife who was trying to get away from her abusive husband and save her two sons, which I thought was really compelling and really interesting, partly because it did force her to stay in the house at the point where you would go, why wouldn't you get out of the house? It's clearly haunted. Something's going on. I thought it was a really interesting setup. And then it just got very confused in where it was going and did some things where it was a bit almost inappropriate. But overall, it I think it was a good movie to have on in the background to get a spooky Halloween atmosphere, but also just not maybe pay as much attention to it and just kind of work while you have it on. (laughs) Yeah. Did it try and do that thing that horror movie sequels sometimes do where they overcomplicate the backstory of the villain? or the the supernatural fours that seems like sinister 2 just from the bit i know of the series it seems like the second one would do that just try and explain too much i will say not really they actually changed it to where so in the first one it's the demon bagul and they give him a whole story and all this stuff gabagool gabagool I mean, I know there's a lot to make fun of with him. He scared just the bejesus out of me in that first movie with moving in the background and the pictures Mm -hmm. and such. But in the second one, it really focuses on the kids. And it took a huge degree of wind out of the sails where the kids just weren't as compelling and kind of weren't as interesting. Yeah, I get that. They kind of had some through lines where like the deputy from the first one comes back in the second one. And I did like him as a character. I liked the central female character, even though I don't remember her name. It was it was a decent movie, but it was just somewhat confused and what it was trying to say and and took some weird turns and made some weird choices but overall very atmospheric and kind of nice to look at yeah we enjoyed watching sinister although i will say i think the scariest part to me so it was me and aaron and both of our dogs were laying on the couch and there's a scene where there's something going around in the attic and there's a loud noise in the attic well my dog jumped and i didn't jump at the noise but i jumped at my dog sitting on my lap jumping so it was like this weird dumb <laughs> With the dog like actually being in my lap and touching me when she jumped, it was like almost like something was coming out of the movie. You know what I mean? So I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I watched that one a couple of years ago and it's got a very good surround mix on the Blu-ray disc and it freaked our dogs out because there's all the like attic noises and bumping around and shit in it. And the dogs were freaking out. They were like barking at the corners of the room and losing their minds the entire time. So yeah, I would definitely say the first one is for sure worth checking out this time of year if you want something kind of spoopy with some good vibes cool cool well uh let's now move on to crystal do you have any recommendations for us yeah i've been watching lovecraft country every week i watch it like a week late because i watch it with my mom because it's gotten too scary for me to watch alone it's incredible basically it's through line is a singular family that's connected throughout the thing but almost every episode is like a different type of pulp entertainment and it's not all horror there's one that's like almost indiana jones-esque in its pulpiness and there's a teensy bit of horror in that episode but like it's just kind of a celebration of pulp in a way that's incredible i think it's not perfect but it's new i feel like i haven't seen anything do what the show is trying to do and i'm really interested in it there's also like magic in it that's portrayed in a way that i haven't seen magic portrayed that's very interesting yeah it's it's incredible but the episode three and episode eight i believe were definitely the most classic horror scary ones and i had a little bit of a nightmare about episode eight so it's (laughs) definitely scary 
Yeah, and then I've also been listening to just a couple of episodes so far, but it's a podcast called Magnus Archives. It's like like 20-minute ghost stories, kind of. I haven't listened to much of it yet, but just the way the narrator talks is very, like, old-school spooky. Kind of like a narrator in, like, Twilight Zone or something. Kind of like that cadence, you know? I like it so far. Awesome. Cool, cool. Well, Heather, what have you got? Uh, Well, we did just talk about Sinister. The only other thing I've started recently is a romance novel about lesbian beekeepers. But Aaron says I can't talk about that because it's not horror. So if you ever want to hit me up with lesbian beekeeper romance novel recommendations, holler at me. I'm not joking. That's a real book. Okay, so I know it's a real book, (laughs) but you you don't have any like... Actual <laughs> horror recommendations. We already talked about Sinister. Okay. I don't know if that picked up on the mic, but Crystal said we should talk about Animorphs because there's body horror. Well, I didn't want to do three things, and if Heather didn't have a thing, (laughs) she got me into Animorphs. Yes, so while we are talking about childhood loves and revisiting childhood faves, the graphic novel version of the first Animorphs book came out this week as we're recording, so this is early October. This is 100% like scholastic author sanctioned official legit graphic novel so if you are interested in animorphs the morphing in animorphs is 100% body horror it's really creepy you know they describe things like while they're changing from one animal to another you know you can hear their bones grinding or if they're turning into insects they'll just pop out extra legs and it sounds super creepy and gross I don't remember that because I I read animorphs for a while as a kid and I don't recall like the actual transformation I'm reading them currently and i promise it's disgusting yeah they're they yeah like i believe y'all <laughs> i believe face. y'all i just <laughs> yeah. I, be- I definitely believe y'all i just don't remember that as a kid i'm like, curious on heather's been like trying to convince me to do it and trying to couch it in like a they're really quick you can blast through them and they're full of gross body horror shit and i joked the other night when we were watching hocus pocus about yeah if you were a boy turned into a cat and then you realize Fuck. I have to, like, eat mice. I have to, like, do that now. I have to eat small rodents. And, like, the first time that you have to try to catch one and crunch into the fucking neck of a rat and, like, kill it yourself and then, like, eat its raw guts. If you're then a cat, does that taste good? Does, like, your entire, like taste palette change because you're now a boy who has turned into a cat or is it still just oh god i'm eating a raw fucking rat and literally both of them we were watching the movie all together were like read animorphs because that shit happens all the time <laughs> i think it's book a three is the one that deals with so one of the character ends up in an animal morph forever a hawk very early on yeah he's my favorite character or he was my favorite yeah. character when i was reading it yeah in like the third book so i'm sorry if i'm spoiling this 20 year old series for you um, but yes one of the animorphs gets trapped as a hawk and the third book where he's like trapped in the morph is all about him being stuck and learning to live as a hawk that has to hunt and kill so basically Aaron according to animorphs it is both it does taste okay. good 
to their hawk brain, but it also is this gross sensation of eating something with warm, gushing blood that you know <laughs> as a human isn't ideal. Lauren's face again. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Lauren, animorphs would emotionally wreck you. Like, if this conversation is getting intensely emotional, it would wreck you in the best way. Animorphs is amazing. <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm very excited. Yeah, somehow I just bypassed Animorphs as a kid. I and too. I was very into Scholastic and, you know, read a ton of books. But for some reason, Animorphs was one. I remember seeing the covers because the covers were very visually striking. Mm-hmm. Where they did have those, you know, you guys mentioned the, the in-between animal and human yeah. kind of pictures. Yeah. <laughs> but I just never read them. And yeah, I don't I don't think I'd be up for Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> I told Heather that one of the most terrifying Halloween costumes would be like a mid-morph Animorph. Like... <laughs> Like the middle image. If it was a good one, though, you'd have to be sexy mid animorph animal. Oh god. <laughs> the new graphic novel should be a good jumping in point. So if that's your jam, definitely check out that graphic novel. Also, a fun spinoff podcast recommendation. We all are fans of the McElroy family and their output. The illustrator of the graphic novels, Carrie Peach, has an Animorphs podcast called Morph Club. And so if you're looking for new podcast recommendations, you can check out Morph Club, read the Animorphs books. Good times. Yeah, wasn't Tobias the one who was stuck? Yes. Yeah, I was trying yeah, to that's he's, he's, he was my maybe. favorite character. <laughs> Swell this 25-year-old, 20-year-old property. But well, also, I was, like, I book was three of, of 100. on Tobias. Um, there's 54, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, there's 54 plus the four Chronicles books and the four Megamorphs books. I ignored the game books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I read up to like 13, or, but I, I do remember like on that line of Animorphs actually has some horror to it. I remember reading as a kid, and this still is seared into my brain, that I read one of the like choose your own adventure Animorphs books where like you played as a person who became an Animorph. And one of the like endings, if you got a bad ending, like chose the wrong choice, is like you morph into an insect or like a fly or something. And then the death scene is just literally like, oh, you see this really amazing cool and like warm light and it's beckoning you and it's calling to you and you get zapped by a fly zapper like you fall, <laughs> literally fly into a fly zapper because like your brain is now getting used to being a fly so you go towards it and kill yourself that yeah. way talk about kinder trauma like with hocus pocus that was like a kinder trauma moment for me as a kid animorphs pulls no punches the characters in animorphs are like middle school age they're like 12 13 14 cannot tell you how many times they'll be like like Marco is in his gorilla morph and he's like, yeah, with my big gorilla hand, I'm literally holding my intestines inside my body while they're like spilling out after I got sliced by this pork bajir. It's rough. And some Animorphs, y'all. It's rough. And they have, like, more complex moral conversations than I think I've ever actually had in my life as a 31-year-old adult. And they're 12. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Animorphs and the war has done a lot to these poor kids. <laughs> they got kinder trauma all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> all right well Derek you have any suggestions for listeners yeah so kind of similar to last time when I uh, was talking about watching twitch streams and YouTube streamers trying out different games among us was the one I recommended last episode but kind of the same thing um, I've been watching gaming youtubers specifically wrestlers as well as twitch streamers and yet a new game that has kind of exploded onto the scene and is really catching a lot of steam especially on twitch in general is a game called 
phasmophobia. Okay. The word phasmophobia means fear of ghosts. It's still an early access, real bare bones, but what it has so far is like really neat idea. It's a 2020 paranormal investigation and ghost hunting video game where you and up to three other people, so a max of four people, can form a ghost hunting team and go to various uh, locations and hunt ghosts, but you have to find three pieces of evidence and then make a guess on the type of ghost you're dealing with, whether it's a phantom, a nightmare, a wraith, a jinn, a demon, a banshee, etc., etc. Each ghost acts differently, like some ghosts will only respond if one ghost hunter is in the house calling for it. Other ghosts are not afraid if everyone is there. Some of the ghosts are a lot more combative or territorial, and some will respond to crucifixes or salt or incense. And it's really interesting because it does such a phenomenal job of you and your friends enter this house and just start trying to talk to the ghosts and set up cameras and rooms and shit slowly starts to escalate. Maybe the lights will start flickering on their own or like a car alarm will start going off on its own all the way up to like the ghost literally locks you in the room in the house and then murders one of the teammates. So is this a first person MMO kind of thing or is it top down spritey basic? What kind of game is this? It's a first person up to four player online game kind of like okay. a left for dead how you could play left for dead technically okay, yeah, play yeah, left yeah. for dead one player but it's that same thing and it's not like a pvp thing like at least not right now people don't play as the ghost it's literally just four people against the game itself and trying to guess the type of ghost but also too it has mechanics where if you get enough pieces of evidence or you guess the ghost correctly you get so much money and so much experience and level up and as you level up you unlock better equipment or more equipment and as you get more money you can purchase more equipment and better equipment but the game is actually fucking terrifying it does such a good job of that slow escalation of a haunting and then literally you think you're hunting slash stalking the ghost and then it flips and if you take too much time or the ghost becomes too hostile or you fuck with it too much it starts hunting you and what the really neat aspect to it is you can actually global chat like on a mic and start asking questions to the ghost that way and like the ghost will literally respond to their names because each investigation you get the little summary of what you're hunting like oh this is the ghost of george winters depending on the type of ghost it is if you say like george winters are you here either it'll respond like and give you some evidence or it might straight up become aggressive and like hates that you're calling it by its name it's really fucking cool if you're interested in like looking up video for it jessamine duke she's wwe wrestler she has a handful of videos of this game on her gaming youtube channel um, where she plays with other wrestlers and all of the videos are very entertaining and some of the moments are downright scary because sometimes you don't see the ghosts at all but there are other times if you catch it you can see like the ghost coming at you and like the graphics are very well done and very haunting and creepy so yeah phasmophobia be on the lookout for it uh, more on twitch and youtube and then one last quick thing is i've been reading through a stephen king series of short uh, stories this time skeleton crew okay is one of the ones that i've been reading it's one of his earlier ones but it actually has the entire novella of the mist in it as the first thing and i'm actually like almost finished with the mist i didn't realize a it was a just a novella i always thought it was a a full-blown novel of his and b i totally forgot stephen king was the one who wrote it (laughs) until i cracked it open and started reading it and i won't get into what it's about and all that but it's a psychological slash maybe alien slash monster horror story that he's very well known for and you could probably touch on that aaron i know it was kind of panned when it first came out but now i know the movie is kind of being 
revisited. And... I actually really liked the movie when it first yeah. came out, personally. I like the ambiguity of the short story ending, yeah. but there's never been anything that mentally damaging as the ending of The Mist in yeah. the movie. Like, the that ending was... of the movie is the biggest detractor that people had I at the time. I loved it. I mean, it, I mean, I didn't love what happened, but it, I had a visceral reaction to yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what horror should do, you know, like make you have a big emotional reaction to something. Yeah, the ending of the movie is definitely a gut punch. And it's one that was tooled around with a bunch from what I remember reading. So it's not quite kind of the final product that Frank Darabont wanted. I will say the black and white version of the movie that's on the Blu-ray is very interesting because that was the original intent was to make it black and white. The movie is lit for black and white. I think it would have been a better movie if it was in black and white. I'll have but, to watch that sometime. I haven't seen that version. Yeah, come over. I've got, I've got it so we can watch it. It's interesting. The, the ending is definitely bleak. So I'm curious to cover it one day and see what your thoughts are now that you've read the novella. Yeah, like I said, I, I think I only have a handful of pages left. And I am curious about the films, really. Like, I, I kind of want to see what it's like. Cool. Well, last thing that I will bring up real quick, if you want to play a fun video game, I have probably mentioned this on the show before, but a very fun game to play with a group that only takes eight, nine hours is Until Dawn. Absolutely worth playing. It is a fun group game. You can all pass the remote around and play as a group. It is essentially a like choose your own adventure game, but it is like slashery group of teens go to a snowy cabin, dot, 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 there is a monster stalking them and weird shit happening, dot, dot, dot. It is very fun. There are people doing the character modeling and acting and voicing that you will certainly recognize. Among them at this point is Oscar winner Rami Malek, which is weird to think now, but that game is super fun. It is cheap. You can check it out on PS4. If you have like a day free with friends, that game is a fucking blast to play through. And it's one of those where like your decision making changes the entire course of the game. Your decision making changes whether people live or die. And you can have a completely different outcome every single time you play the game. So that is something that I would definitely recommend if you want to have like a group activity that is not necessarily a movie. One thing I'd like to add to that too, um, Until Dawn is definitely a game that you can play if you don't have a lot of experience playing video games so if you're uh, if you're not good at you know using controllers or don't understand complex mechanics it's a very simple game you kind of walk around different environments press a to interact with whatever Um, it's very friendly to non-gamers yes this is literally just move your person around a map click on shiny items oh it gives you dialogue options pick the dialogue you want to say you got to press these buttons in this right order to do the thing okay done like it's very straightforward like heather said so that is definitely a good one to play with a group other thing I would encourage everybody to do is this year is especially shitty as we all know (laughs) I would say do yourself a favor and just watch horror stuff that gets you in the mood and in the season that is comfort food warmth fun stuff that you enjoy I wouldn't say like push yourself to find new stuff I wouldn't say push yourself to like watch the edgiest darkest bullshit you can imagine like that's why we're doing Hocus Pocus as our like actual episode 
episode dropping on Halloween because it's fun and it's warm and it's a good time and like it's all the spirit of the Halloween season without like just the crushing depression and darkness that we're already all living through. So that's what I would say is put in something that you have fun with, put in something that you enjoy, put in something that like gets you in the mood and go from there. So yeah. All right. Let's talk Hocus Pocus. Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Here to decapitate the Malachemist. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts, witches, thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, we shall be back. <laughs> 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve, and they're back. Uh-oh. We are home. Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? We're <gasps> talking about three-engine hags versus the 20th century. How bad can it be? Now they're digging up old friends. <laughs> and running amok. Looking for the one thing they miss most. Who stay for supper? I'm not hungry. But we are. Only one boy has the power to stop them. Prepare to die again. You have no powers here, you fool. Before all Salem falls under their spell. Walt Disney Pictures presents Bette Midler. Hello. Sarah Jessica Parker. Would thou dance with me? And Kathy Najimi. Hocus Pocus. Into the night! They love to fly. And it shows. Good night. Sleep tight. No screaming. <laughs> One thing I absolutely love about this movie, and it makes me always just feel the Halloween spirit so much, is the set and production design on this movie. It is so, so gorgeous. When they're in the Sanderson sisters' house, and there's all the potions and magic stuff everywhere, or when they're walking around and everybody's trick-or-treating, and all the kids are in costumes, and every house is decorated to the nines, it really just feels like you can smell the pumpkin spice latte just <laughs> <laughs> around the streets and it has such a like a warm it feels weird to say like warm halloween vibe like you would almost say that for a christmas movie it has a warm vibe but for us weirdos who prefer halloween to christmas and definitely would describe halloween as our favorite holiday this is like the equivalent of a hallmark movie you know what i mean it's got Hell yeah. it just has all that warm fun halloween stuff that just gets you excited so it is clearly very set designed and everything is decorated uh in this way but it does feel like a real environment as they sort of move from area to area in the town you know i was thinking about the part where they go to the girl's house i'm like allison yeah mm -hmm. allison with the great yabos uh when they go to her house <laughs> and they're like rich people and it's the rich yeah. people's house i know that house and then when they go to the high school and it's a high school just the way they move through even the party at the town hall it is so designed and it does give you this warm feeling but it also feels real like it feels like a 
real environment in a real town. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like the way you wish you could experience Halloween that way and see a neighborhood that that's dressed up and absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that like that makes the production design better because if it were just throw all the money at it, make it look really, really amazing, but maybe not as like, not realistic. realistic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't land quite the same way. Yeah. The realism of it brings that warmth, mm-hmm. you know, because like there is something a little bit relatable in every frame, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And you feel like you could be one of those kids on the street. You could be trick or treating in those neighborhoods. You could be excited about going to the rich people's houses and getting the full size candy, <laughs> which I definitely right. did on Halloween. <laughs> Although I, I don't know what a Clark bar is. That's one of the notes that I wrote about this movie when they're in like the devil's house. Laverne is like, get your Clark bars and get out. Oh, that's a Clark bar. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good candy. I don't know if the devil has the best candy. Well, probably movie. they didn't want to pay Hershey's money to say that. <laughs> True, <laughs> <Or> like, <yeah. laughs> Whatever the brand of candy was. Right. Something else that made me kind of laugh about watching this movie, especially after seeing The Witch, is that the Sanderson sisters, while not as horrifying and like animalistic as the witch in the witch they're like it's always sunny in philadelphia version of those witches or even like what we do in the shadow version of those witches (laughs) except they're insanely more powerful i think because they can literally like resurrect the dead and like cause the entire children of the town to basically sleepwalk to their house and like cause like that big giant halloween party filled with hundreds of adults to just dance until you die yeah they're obviously really fucking powerful witches but the movie does such a good job of balancing them as being a threat but also being like again it's like it's always sunny in Philadelphia levels of incompetent right (laughs) I think I would rather have my soul sucked out of my body than be stuck at a party and made to dance literally forever and I (laughs) can never leave and never quit oh god my little introvert heart is just please don't don't make that happen to me. But that is absolutely one of my favorite scenes in the movie though. I love them coming in and doing the musical number. It's so good. I was going to say almost worse than just being stuck at a party and made to dance. You're stuck at a party. You're made to dance until you die. And you're in costume, which I don't know about you guys. I Mm -hmm. love wearing Halloween costumes for like the first hour. And then it's (laughs) like, okay, I'm done. Like I'm chafing. This is too, like I'm done. (laughs) Sweat everywhere. Makeup running. Right. I've gotten a lot better at makeup and know how to make it stay longer. But like, even if it's not running off my face, it just doesn't feel comfortable. on right. your, Like, yeah. it just shouldn't be on there very long. <laughs> like. Well, and that, that whole like scene, especially when they run into their parents at that party, it just went through my head. It just their parents totally still bone down and like are <laughs> really attracted to each other. Yeah. Just like kind of hot. Their parents. dad like dressed up as like a hot Dracula vampire and the mom is dressed as Madonna. Anna, and like yeah they totally bone down <laughs> yeah that's a good point that is something that's different about this movie from a lot of others where like the parents are kind of the drips who are like halloween's for kids y'all this is dumb and well i don't even know why you want to go trick-or-treating that's for children y'all are grown children now like <laughs> right, right that kind of whole thing like their parents seem pretty fucking fun and like cool and chill parents yeah right and actually i mean going back to like the realism of how the town feels one thing that struck me a lot in this watch and I may have to stick up for Max a little bit but <laughs> talking about the parents specifically was the sense of how realistic all of the relationships 
relationships within this family are. Mm -hmm. Where like with the parents, they're at this party, they're probably just a little bit drunk. And you know, (laughs) when Max first shows up and says something's wrong, the dad doesn't go like, oh, this is so silly, which is what I remembered from when I was a kid is that the parents just didn't believe him. The dad is like, where's your sister? What happened? Mm -hmm. And it does this shift. And even the mom, the part where Danny sees her and is like, who are you supposed to be? The mom goes, I'm Madonna. And has this moment of, I look like Madonna, right? Like I clear, like I'm, you you can tell I'm Madonna, like the the costume is working. And I was like, that's a real human moment is even to this child who doesn't know who Madonna is. You're going to be like, it it works, right? Like it works, right? (laughs) All all three of us watching that movie last night, like when that scene was happening, we were just like, oh, poor mom. We all felt really bad for her. For other things I didn't realize about this movie, didn't know who Madonna was when I first saw this movie, didn't get the costume <laughs> reference at all. <laughs> That's something that, like, the older we get and the more that we're looking back on stuff from our childhood, from the 90s especially, the amount of jokes for grown-ups that are bringing their kids to the movie, that definitely flew over our heads. One that we talked about recently, Heather and I, was Aladdin, and how just there's so many Robin Williams weird pop culture from the 90s references that, like, no fucking child would have understood at the time and then you go back to now and they're like super dated yeah that's for the parents and and this movie is definitely the same way in some regards but it's way more charming i hate to admit it we are finally at that age where like this movie is just no longer just accepted by everyone as like oh it's hocus focus of course you know hocus focus because now and we had mentioned earlier like there's probably even people listening to this podcast right now that are too young to like really appreciate (laughs) hocus focus or too old even i think every Everybody our age, though, does agree at this point. Hocus Pocus kicks ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like Tremors, the fucking rules. Yeah. Let's table set for a, a bit, and then we can let uh, you three kind of go off on just the movie in general. For those of you who don't know, again, Hocus Pocus was a 1993 film. It had fucking Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, way before Sex in the City, Kathy Najimy playing the Sanderson sisters, three witches that are pretty much the three stooges as witches, but also... <laughs> great fucking funny characters like this is such a funny movie and it's a funny movie that stays within the realm of pg it's amazing yeah definitely the witches are hamming this movie up which is great oh, yeah. that's what you want yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. like they probably had a fucking blast making this movie and everyone around our age if you're around friends this halloween i know like with covid and everything that might not be that possible or even in the past halloweens i guarantee you you had three friends who dressed up as as the three sanderson sisters yeah multiple times if you're all around the same age range as we are in the early 30s, late 20s. My mom did one Halloween. Shout out to my mom. So did my mom. (laughs) But yeah, Hocus Pocus was a 1993 Disney movie and the Disney Channel, which I watched religiously from like 1994 until like the mid 2000s easily. This movie played like clockwork on that channel, especially during Halloween and all through October. It's a cult classic at this point. That's why like we wanted to not only do this to wrap up up our season of spoop and for halloween make this our 50th episode because it's just so endearing to all of us here on this call for multiple reasons again like the gate was it's more kinder trauma it's not quite scary scary but like it's not gonna be like a haunting of hill house level scares but there are a lot of scary ideas in this movie it's amazing that even this movie with witches attributes child death to like witches gaining power just yeah. like haxan did just like the witch does it is very much like a hallmark halloween as a commercial holiday version of that but it still gets a lot of stuff about 
witches that have historically been there in folklore and everything like pretty close but it's just so funny to me that like even in this movie children are getting fucked up for the sake of power for witches <laughs> but uh with all that being said i mean cowards like come on now you can't get much yeah, less scary no than Hocus <laughs> this is probably the least scary movie we've covered like on this podcast so with that i'll pass off to you aaron if you want to talk a little bit about the production and starring roles and then uh we can let the ladies take over yeah i'll try to be quick this is just the weird bullshit i like throwing in so i'll try to knock this out fast kenny ortega is the director it makes complete sense with the tone of this movie and the fact that bet midler was involved because he was a music video director originally and then he did newsies for disney and went on to do high school musical all those movies and all the descendants movies lots of tv stuff so like this is completely kind of right up his alley to direct um in terms of that comedic tone and the musical kind of nature of the movie even though there's really only one musical number in it well and what's amazing to me is he choreographed for saint elmo's fire pretty in pink ferris bueller yeah and dirty dancing he's done a lot yeah. of that too since he did music video he stuff he did dirty dancing's choreography yeah he he yeah. helped Damn. with choreography on that yeah the story was originally conceived by david kirshner and he wrote all the american tale movies and fucking pirates of dark water which i remember watching in the 90s as well and the page master but from like a horror standpoint he also produced all of the fucking child's play movies <laughs> and okay. frailty which is actually like oh, on our list of shit to do and then Kirshner partnered with Mick Garris, who is the most delightful dude in the world. He directed lots of making of docs. He got into the industry like with Lucasfilm back in the day. But he went on to direct Critters 2, Psycho 4, Sleepwalkers, The Stand TV miniseries, and The Shining TV miniseries. Lots of TV stuff. He's got a great podcast where he interviews a lot of industry people and you get a lot of insight. So it's still worth checking out. And yeah, that podcast is called Postmortem with Mick Garris. Okay, so this is an aside, and you can edit this out if it's dumb, but I'm just going to go ask. There's Page Master, which is the animated movie about scary books, and there's Wishmaster, which is a horror movie. In my head, Wishmaster is just the scary adult version of Page Master. Confirm or deny? <laughs> um, both are about making your wildest dreams and wishes come true, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> One has way more Macaulay Culkin, and the other has a lot more Andrew Divoff and bad makeup, but okay. Andrew Divoff is a, is a treasure. I want to watch Page Master again. <laughs> 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 but yeah, anyway, the movie was originally supposed to be a lot darker and scarier and all of the kids were supposed to be kind of like 12 ish in that age range Disney bought the rights in 84 so this was like a long in the works project Spielberg was even offered the option for Amblin to co-produce it and he was like no fuck you because Disney is like my biggest competition for family movie shit right now I don't want any of it imagine like that 80s Spielberg kid touch kid touch just came out really weird yeah that was um, <laughs> Not a good use of that <laughs> word, but imagine like 1980s Spielberg Amblin, like kids on bikes, Stranger Things kind of vibe with this movie. That could have been very, very different from what we have now. And I'm glad it wasn't because this is yeah, delightful. I'm kind of glad it wasn't either. This is Agreed. this is definitely different and unique, like for what it was. You know, by the point that this movie came out, there would have been a lot of Amblin esque movies, and this is definitely. 
definitely more like Disney pop fun family kind of thing. And I think I would rather have that at this point. But the script went through a bunch of rewrites and just kind of stalled until Bette Midler got involved in 92 and then everything got fast-tracked. All the exteriors were shot in Salem and Marblehead. Going back to the realism of this really does feel like it was set in Salem in Halloween country and it was. It was totally shot there. All of the like set stuff was done in Burbank. So like, you know, the inside of the Sanderson sisters house and things like that were all sets, but otherwise all the outside stuff was actually in Salem. The movie came out in July 93, which there's your first mistake. Why the fuck would you put this movie out in July? Yeah, Christ, really? It it did okay still. (laughs) Came out the same week as Free Willy. Their whole thought was let's put it out in July because kids are out of school. Okay. Uh, That seems like a bad idea, right? Like (laughs) horror movies in the summer have kind of become a thing now, but it wasn't then. And ultimately like the movie was kind of sort of critically panned and it didn't make money. Like it definitely lost Disney about $16 million, but it has become like a huge cult phenomenon because of all of us growing up with that movie and all of us revisiting it every year and pumping the streaming numbers. And it still makes a million dollars just through DVD sales every October. Wow. It still is like the number one highest viewed program on ABC Family in Freeform every year since the mid 90s. And once again, It is the number one movie in America right now because of fucking COVID and all the repertory stuff happening. So, like, as we speak right now, Hocus Pocus is the number one movie in America, which (laughs) is I mean, talk about comfort blanket movies. This is a perfect example of one. Yeah, totally. So, beyond that, we'll go ahead and hop in. Our three witches, ladies, take over tonight. I think I prefer witches to ladies. Ladies just always feel like there's an eyebrow wiggle that Hey, ladies! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a uh, Witches' Night episode, hence the uh, season of spoop that we're doing this year. So you're ready from here, babe. Okay, Hocus Pocus. I'm going to give the most briefest of plot summaries because this movie is extremely simple. (laughs) It's 1693. Some witches are in their little witch house with a little girl tied to a chair. Her name is Emily. And they want to suck her life force so they can stay young forever. This plot is thwarted. The witches end up getting hanged by the villagers, but they summon her spell book and cast a spell that if a virgin lights the black flame candle on Halloween night, they will be resurrected. Now, mind you, you you're leaving out a part that I think you should include because I thought it was funny when you said it. They also turn, what'd you say? Hottie Thackeray Binks into a cat. <laughs> Thackeray. Young Hottie Thackeray Binks. Thackeray Binks. <laughs> Gets turned from his young hottiness into being a rather attractive black cat. <laughs> <laughs> black cat nonetheless. <laughs> And so we find out later he has been still living as that black cat and guarding the house. Now, something does happen when he is in his cat form. Um, I think Lauren might want to talk about it. Apparently it was very emotionally touching to her. <laughs> it was. So I will say in, in watching this movie, it kind of goes back to that thing of like, as a kid, you just watch this and accept it. You're just like, okay, yeah, now he's a cat. Cool. Now they've been hanged. Cool. Like it doesn't really sink in. And when I watched it today, I was suddenly almost like an Animorph, I would suppose, if I had actually read that (laughs) series, was thinking about the implications of this. There is that scene where he gets turned into a cat, they hang the witches, and he, as a cat, goes up to his father and tries meowing and rubs on his father's legs, and his father physically kicks him. (laughs) Fuck off, cat. Goes like, be gone, beast. 
or something. You proud slut. And, and it did. <laughs> you proud slut. <laughs> but yeah, I will say it did actually get me for a minute where I did think, you know, what is his life now? So you're a cat forever. Your father kicked you. What is like the next hour or day of young hottie Thackeray Binks's life like? <laughs> what, what is that first day of being cursed as a cat? I actually paused it for a minute and had to leave and come back because I was just so stuck on how horrifying that actually is as, as kind of a fate. Yeah. Yeah. These are the deep insights that we do love discussing. <laughs> <laughs> So I have figured out what he does with his time. So maybe, you know, for the next few years, he just hangs around. But at some point in between 1693 and 1993, he obviously learns to talk. Because apparently he couldn't talk and tell his dad, Hi, Dad, I am young Holly Thackeray Binks transformed into this sleek cat body. Right. But no, he can talk <laughs> when we get to 1993. So he had to learn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a couple hundred years <laughs> learning human speech. It's definitely not a plot hole. Wink, wink. Wink. Well, I mean, if we're going to continue with our tying this into Animorphs theme, the Hort Bajar don't have brains that are quite as developed as humans, so they can speak English, but it is kind of simplified, so maybe it took a while to, like, wrap that cat brain yeah, around ar- speaking English. Around English speech. Yeah, good That's point. Right. Hi, this is Watch If You Dare Animorphs edition. (laughs) Season of Morphs. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely like this intro scene. It's a good, like, way to kind of start everything off, set the tone, introduce the characters... And just kind of get things rolling immediately. There's not a ton of (coughs) setup and everything else. Like, this is just kind of a good cold open way to start the movie. Immediate hijinks, immediate stakes. And it just kind of gets the ball rolling. And I will say, like, the three sisters in this, we've said a few times already, so fucking funny. Still, Bette Midler's eyebrow acting alone in this movie is phenomenal. Kathy Najimy, like, talking out the side of her mouth (laughs) the entire movie fucking cracks me up and Sarah Jessica Parker like she has Charlie energy that's like the best way that I can say it like she has that like it's always sunny Charlie energy the entire movie and I find myself laughing way more at her than I thought I would just all of her timing is so fucking funny and a lot of her like physical mannerisms and reactions to things like her slow reactions to things often are like fucking hilarious but the three of them together it is definitely that Three Stooges energy like you mentioned earlier but being channeled in like a super fun way and not like a beat each other up kind of way so yeah like just right off the bat this movie is super fun okay so in a witch off which witch has better eyebrow acting is it Bette Midler and Hocus Pocus or is it Emma Watson as Hermione in the first Harry Potter movie (laughs) (laughs) I think Bette Midler because Bette Midler it's not just the eyebrow Uh it's the eyeball she's doing some eyeball acting it is it feels more intentional and it's like it achieves her goals whereas Hermione's eyebrow acting love Emma Watson now until movie six she knew nothing that was the only thing she had in her acting box it's it's definitely a child acting move those eyebrows were contradicting everything else she was trying to do at any given point so yeah 
Bette Midler was more on the same page as her eyebrow. She wins on the eyebrow category. What about devotion to books? Hermione or Bette Midler? (laughs) I I mean, it seems like Bette Midler has a bit of a relationship with that human skin book. Yeah, Yeah, I wonder if she knew the person that she turned into that book. I wonder if that was like some lover or somebody that she like had a relationship with before she skinned them and turned them into a fucking Necronomicon, yeah. <laughs> With an eye. I feel like I might give that one to Hermione, though, because Bette Midler is devoted to one book. book. Yeah. Yes, but Hermione's devotion to books <laughs> far surpasses <laughs> Winifred Sanders. Okay, so let's jump to the present day, or, oh god, it's not the, the present, present day. The present day of 27 years later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump to 1993. Recent transplant to Massachusetts, Max Dennison, who just moved from California. He's definitely too cool for the East Coast. Has just moved to Salem. Not so keen on all this Halloween nonsense and all, you know, the history of the Sanderson sisters. He thinks that's a bunch of pumpkin guts. (laughs) (laughs) Does he say it's all a bunch of hocus pocus first? He does, yes. The titular line. He name drops the movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love the teacher in this scene where the teacher was telling the town myth of the Sanderson sisters because I used to love Halloween at school and it would just be no focus on the lesson whatsoever and you could just talk about creepy weird stuff. I think the teacher would be so fun. I loved her. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that was funny about that there is it's such a like movie trope where you know like everyone in this room has heard that story 500,000 times. Yeah. The Sanderson sisters have got to be their like local legend where every year they take a field trip to the house they've been through the museum yeah. all this stuff so for the audience we're like oh the sanderson sisters jumping in the middle but for the kids they're like yeah we're sophomores juniors we know lady max is the only one who doesn't know and he's not into it so that was one thing that i was just thinking yeah. is like how many times have these kids heard this story yeah drawing his marijuana leaves in his notebook for <laughs> <laughs> 20 blazing <laughs> Basically. Speaking of, we're also introduced to the two fucking bullies from this movie. Oh my god. They are like the most 90s ass douchebags, top to bottom. Yeah. It's like they took the bullies from Boy Meets World, except for made the brown haired one blonde, like bleached his hair. (laughs) Like it's literally like one of them might actually be the same actor. I'm not sure, but like it's very much a 90s bully. Yeah. Their introduction is I guess he's taking a shortcut through the graveyard on his bike and they corner him there and first they ask him to bum cigarettes off of him which is like these guys are cool (laughs) they basically rob him of his shoes but yet these two guys besides like the sanderson sisters favorite characters in the movie they're just like so (laughs) comically bully archetypes that i fucking laughed every time they were on screen yeah they're definitely bad their fashion choices might be actually the like most terrifying thing in this fucking movie one of them tries to look like mike d from that era BC totally. boys <laughs> totally the fucking like weird multicolor button down and the vanilla ice hair yeah that's easily the most terrifying thing in the movie <laughs> now we've been kind of running over like character names who are these actors so Omri Katz is the actor who plays Max like we joked about earlier he was in Erie Indiana he was also in Joe Dante's matinee freaks and geeks he's been in kind of a handful
Shameful Things, Adventures in Dinosaur City. He was also in Dallas. The girl that he kind of hits on in class is named Vanessa Shaw. She's actually been in a lot of stuff, and she has been steadily working since. She was in Remake of Hills Have Eyes. She was in Eyes Wide Shut. She's been in a couple of movies, horror movies recently. So she's definitely still working. The two bullies, eh, whatever. We'll pass them up. They're not important for now. Well, whatever. Uh, they're important to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I really want to know if one of them was on Boy Meets World. I feel like they might have been. But yeah, obviously like Bette Midler, mostly known as a uh, musician. She's been in stuff like The Rose, Ruthless People and Beaches, and just all kinds of stuff from there. Kathy Jimmy is one of those that lady character actors that has been in so much shit over the years. She's been in the Sister Act movies. She's the voice of Peggy Hill from King of the Hill. She has been doing tons and tons of voice work for years. She's been in Veep recently. So she's been in a ton of stuff. And then, of course, Sarah Jessica Parker, mostly now known from Sex and the City, The Family Stone. Um, Family Stone is the best thing she's ever done. It's so good. That one's good. I, I will go to bat for Family Stone for sure. But yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff. So anyway, yeah, the three sisters have definitely like been in a lot of stuff. I would say at this point, probably Sarah Jessica Parker was kind of newest on the scene when this movie came out. The three of them brought a lot of personality to the roles all said and done. We haven't quite gotten to some of the other ones yet, so we'll wait till then. Well, we can go ahead. And the other main star in this movie would be Thora Birch, who plays Max's little sister, Danny. One of the better performances of any movie I've seen with a kid this young. Yes. Yes. Thora Birch is incredible. Have you seen Now and Then? No, I haven't. Okay, I only saw it about 20 times a year from like 11 to probably 20. (laughs) 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 And she's she's one of the stars in it. I did like kind of look through her uh, work and I mean, she's been in a shit ton of stuff, still working as well. Yeah, she's very good in this movie. She's very endearing as a little kid. You really do want to, this is another sign that we're old. I was about to say you do want to like protect her as well. You feel protective towards her. I don't know if I felt that when I was a kid. I was probably her yeah, age. Well, <laughs> we were all her age. Now we're old. <laughs> you know, it's fucking funny. She's 38, so she's older than we are. So, yeah, I stumbled across that a few days ago on the internet. Somebody tweeted, Thora Birch is now the same age that Steve Buscemi was when they were making Ghost World. And, like, yeah, that makes me feel definitely kind of old all said and done. But, yeah, she was also in, like, Patriot Games and American Beauty is kind of one of the main things that she's known for. She's currently on Walking Dead, apparently. What? Um, yeah. I've got to catch up. Okay. But yeah, she's she's That's been a in a ton of stuff. And <laughs> um, Heather and I actually, like, saw her from a distance at a uh, drag club in Atlanta a while back. So that Hell was yeah. pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, she just, like, happened to be there. The last person I guess I would mention would be Doug Jones is Billy Butcherson, and he is, like, the dude who is constantly under lots of prosthetic makeup and monster shit and all kinds of stuff. He was Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. He was the fish man in Shape of Water. He was the hand-eyeball guy. Spoiler alert, she fucks the fish man. Yeah. Fuck that fish. (laughs) He was, like, the creepy eyeball hand guy from Pan's Labyrinth, as well as the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. He was in Buffy. Like, he has been in a ton of shit. 
I'm still fucking bitter because he was supposed to be at Mississippi Comic Con this summer. God damn it, COVID. And we could have potentially met and interviewed him, but you know, god damn it, COVID. Lauren is about to like burst at the seams. What's up? I am. I'm getting very twitchy. So I will say there is one more person we should mention, and that is the actual voice actor who plays Thackeray Binks. As the cat, and I believe that he actually dubs over Thackeray Binks, the person, when he is young hottie, Thackeray Binks. His name is Jason Marsden, and the reason I know this is because he was one of those Disney movie or channel kind of stable actors, where his voice pops up in so many things, and it's so familiar. And I actually recognize him from what is arguably, I think, the best animated Disney straight-to-video <laughs> sequel, which is Lion King 2. He plays adult Kovu. So, we must mention Jason Marsden as the voice. <laughs> I didn't Lion have... King 2 is legit. It's I didn't amazing. have time to it's look legit. it up. It's legit. And also, why is Disney like just obsessed with making us fall in love with animals? Because they voice them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we don't know what Jason Marsden really looks like, but... Young Hattie Thackeray Banks. <laughs> well, right. It's not the same person. But our kid brains associated the yeah. voice with the person. And then Jonathan Taylor Thomas is Simba in the first one. Like, it's just... The actual actor who played the young Hottie Thackeray was Sean Murray, who is like a mainstay on NCIS now. Oh, Murray. Wow. What okay. if he's related yeah. to me? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, Uh-oh. He played some nerd on NCIS. Yes, right? I think so. Or, like, that's kind of reductive, but, like, the, like, more nerdy one. <laughs> we'll say the technical one. Yeah. <laughs> but Jason Marsden has done a fuck ton of TV, but also voice acting work, like you said, Lauren. Yeah. He's also been in a shit ton of video games. Like, I'm looking at his video game credits. He was in the original Fallout 2 from 1998. That was his first acting credit on video games. His last uh, voice work was on Lego DC Supervillains from 2018. And he voiced Noelle in... And Final Fantasy 13. So yeah, he's done a lot of stuff, but I didn't realize that they had two different people for yeah. Thackeray. I kind of mentioned that last night when we were watching it. I was thinking like, okay, this voice is very, very polished. There's no way it's coming from this teenage kid. So that's kind of what I figured was they were using an actual voice actor and just kind of ADRing onto this model kid at the beginning and the very end. Well, and Doug Jones, who plays Billy, even if you look at Doug Jones without any makeup on, like he's a very recognizable face. Oh, yeah. I've seen this guy in a lot of stuff before. Yeah, he's real thin to fit in all the, like, monster makeup and shit like that, so even out of makeup, he's very distinct. Okay, so Max has a crush on Miss Yavos herself Allison, <laughs> who is a true believer in the Sanderson sisters and the Witches of Salem. And so Max takes his little sister trick-or-treating that evening. They end up at Allison's house to go get her rich people candy, full-size candy bars. And Allison decides to take them to the Sanderson sisters' house, which has now been a little bit run down. It looks like it's been closed for a little while. Can't buy your clan candy anymore. I guess we need to explain that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I could not make it. So there they is... get to the Sanderson sisters' house. It's a little bit run down, closed. Looks like it hasn't been open for a little while. Cobwebs everywhere. And they see the black flame candle, which is this etched candle, supposedly made out of fat of a hanged man, which is certainly creepy. And legend has it, of course, if a virgin lights the black flame candle on All Hallows' Eve, the Sanderson sisters will be reborn. Max, because he is a cool guy, <laughs> thinks that's all a bunch 
bunch of hocus pocus lights the candle of course bringing back the return of the sanderson sisters and outing himself as a virgin which is gonna become a joke for the rest of the movie <laughs> <laughs> 12 that was so weird to me that it's like oh i know like, like yeah the movie goes out of its it's way like, of to like point that out multiple times <laughs> like, it's like yeah, yeah i hope he's a virgin at that age yeah, yeah. So, shit on this 14 year old for not maybe, getting his dick wet maybe yeah. that's like me as an adult i'm like dear god i hope this 12 year old is a virgin <laughs> shit <laughs> So I did actually look this up because I think Disney has always done a really good job of having teenagers played by teenagers. They don't do that CW thing where they're like all 30. With this one, I looked it up. Both Max and Allison, the actors that played them were 17. Yeah. At the end, he doesn't seem to know how to drive. So I don't know if he's like in canon supposed to be 17. Yeah. Or if he's just a big yeah, dumbo. Yeah, it seemed like they were maybe like freshmen or sophomores. I feel like we said something about sophomores. We did. but So I like 14 or 15, but still look 14 15 perfectly fine age to be a virgin 17 perfectly fine age to be a virgin we don't shame be a virgin as long as you want just don't go lighting any damn candles yeah <laughs> yeah, For yeah. Sure. the true lesson of this is don't light a fucking candle that isn't yours <laughs> I will say, like, as far as nitpicks of this movie goes, the only real nitpick I think I have is they make such a big deal of the Sanderson sisters returning. They light the candle and, like, the wind whooshes and all the shit in the house goes crazy and the floorboards are, like, popping and there's green light. And then they just open the front door and they're like, we're back. And that's kind of <laughs> it, you know? Like, you kind of expect them to, like, explode out of the ground and there'd be fire and all this other crazy shit. But they just kick the door open like, yep, here's the house again. <laughs> and to be fair, it's a Disney. Disney movie and again I will say they are some of the most powerful witches I think I've seen in any movie they don't have to make an entrance they can just yeah, walk they don't in. need yeah. an entrance they fucking raise the dead soon I would say maybe it's just because I've been playing a lot of D&D but when the cemetery the ground started trembling I certainly had forgotten that it was just Billy that they raised I thought that it was going to be like a bunch of zombies because most necromancers can raise like five skeletons by like level five. <laughs> so I was like a little unimpressed with the one, one zombie coming out of the ground. But that was good planning. They specifically popped that one boy into the ground like, yeah, we might need you later just in case we run into some shit. Let's have a guy that I once fucked and then like put a curse on when he cheated on me with my sister. Let's keep him there for safekeeping in case we need to like pop him out and use him later. So that was good planning at least. Our good zombie. Good zombie. The good yeah. zombie. So, this is a child's movie, Disney movie. Who cares about the plot, right? The witches come back, hijinks ensue, there's some oh, zany yeah. running around. We waste no time with shit. They just explain shit as they're, like, running. <laughs> yeah, Billy Richardson, they murdered him, he loved one, then cheated on her, and then they killed him, but now he's back, and it's just like, okay, now Billy <laughs> Richardson's back, and he's one of the most memorable <laughs> characters in the movie. Yeah, I don't really want to necessarily get into the plot of what happens in this movie. Like, you guys watch it. It's like a cat and mouse chase with some witches and some teenagers. And an actual cat. Yes, an yes. actual cat. And they go down the tunnels where he chases the rats. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it is a cat and mouse chase. 
I do like all the other weird side people in this town. You meet, you know, the teacher. You meet this fucking bus driver that picks them up and is the just like, hey, ladies. <laughs> hey, ladies. Bobble, bobble. <laughs> hey, I got a face. You want to come sit on it all night? I mean, uh, wait, Disney. Oops. <laughs> like, there's just too many of those kind of jokes. Horny like, bus driver. Horny motorcycle cop. Horny, horny motorcycle Satan. cop girlfriend. Horny Satan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, lots of like drunk, horny adults in this movie. This movie has a lot of like subtle horniness to yeah. it for yeah. adults. It's not that subtle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, like there's just subtle. a lot of horniness in it. Sarah Jessica Parker is constantly just like, wait, where are we going? Are there going to be boys? Yeah. Every time <laughs> she turns a corner, she's like making out with somebody different. Yeah, it's great. See, Although, Aaron, I guess Halloween being the horny holiday is relatable because I do have to say, Halloween is mine and Aaron's fuck anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, there's some personal details on the show. All right. And I've totally had sex too. <laughs> but yeah, like there's some fun cameos in this as well. Penny Marshall shows up as the over all the shit housewife who's frustrated with her like Satan husband and dog like flirting. Who plays the husband? Her brother. Yeah. Oh shit. Penny Marshall's it's brother. Marshall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that <laughs> yep but yeah there's lots of fun town hijinks and running around and shit like that the other thing too one of the things that did kind of fuck me up if we're talking about kinder trauma and it's the thing that like really honestly fucked me up the most in the whole movie is when the cat gets run over yeah that's a yeah. brutal scene yeah so there's a scene where thackeray banks gets run over and you see him just on the road completely bisected by a car wheel essentially. yeah like a cartoon just completely flat in the middle and then like cat on either side and then he comes back to life because he's a fucking immortal cat and he just reinflates <laughs> and like, up you like hear, a balloon just you hear all of his bones creaking and bullshit and like as a child that fucked me up because I had seen Roadkill. I knew what Roadkill looked like. I walked to school every day. So yeah, I would see like dead squirrels and shit like that. And it would always make me sad because I like animals. So like seeing this cat killed in this movie that otherwise is perfectly fine kind of fucked me up as a kid. I won't lie. Hey, and guess what? Another horror movie that fucks up a pet. Yeah, true. Oh. But he gets unfucked up, and then he goes to heaven. Yeah. So. <laughs> as, a, as a young potty again. For whatever reason, that part never bothered me. It's the part at the end where she thinks he's going to come back alive again, and he doesn't. Yeah. She's crying and petting him. It's so sad, for sure. Yeah, I don't recall really being scared by it when I was a kid. I think, you know, there were certainly creepy things, like the candle being made out of human fat is definitely something that sticks out to me. The book being bound in human skin is certainly creepy and weirds me out but I think I was definitely enough of a little weirdo as a child that like yeah. all the Halloween stuff and the weirdness kind of excited me and it was enough to have that allure so I didn't really find it as a whole to be that scary. What about you guys? As a child I was much more scared by Mufasa roaring in <laughs> Lion King. Or, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was the beast roaring in Beauty and the Beast yes. where it's like his full face. That that was what terrified me as a I child. Think this Heather's, movie didn't really scare me that much as a child. I think Heather's equivalent of that would be like the fucking whale from Pinocchio. Yes, the whale from Pinocchio <laughs> eating Joel, Geppetto. Pinocchio mm-hmm. is a whole fucked up thing. All of the little boys and they turn into the donkeys. It 
that all of that is real fucked up. You want to know a real dumb thing that like creeps me out as a kid and still kind of creeps me out and every time I see it? The scene in Return of the Jedi like going up to Jabba's palace at the beginning and that ball droid comes out and makes those weird noises like out of the wall. For some reason that fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> I don't know why. I was, I think, in high school by the time I finished Beauty and the Beast from the point that the Beast roars on the screen because I would cry and make my mom turn it off every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all heard it here. If you're like iffy about watching this movie because you're too much of a coward, just know Lion King, Pinocchio, and Return of the Jedi are apparently scarier than Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I think that's totally true. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I watched fucking Jaws when I was five and it didn't bother me whatsoever. And then Return of the Jedi, that one dumb little throwaway scene fucked me up. <laughs> Be prepared in Lion King is a really scary song. Sure, yeah. Totally. Scary and also really fun. Yeah. <laughs> but Lauren, did this movie scare you at all when you watched it when you were younger? Not at all, I don't think. I can't ever remember being scared by this movie. I mean, my Disney movie for children scary scene was always the part in Snow White. After Snow White's bitten the apple and there's the evil queen as kind of the old woman. And she's like running up the mountain and the animals are chasing her and there's a storm. That scared me. The trees? Yeah, the trees. Yeah, the scary trees. But yeah, I mean, this movie... I don't remember ever being scared by it. I think I just found the witches funny. And just from the jump, I was like, oh, they're supposed to be funny. This is fine. And so I didn't think about it. Yeah. If I think back to it, I think there might have been like just two things that kind of disturbed me as a kid. Them being hung. You just yeah. see their shoes yeah. dangling. That kind of like fucked me up as a kid, I remember. And then at the end, when she turns into that statue and goes, Book! <laughs> and she turns into like that screaming statue. That, for whatever reason, kind of fucked me up as a kid, too. Yeah. But then it explodes and like... Glitter pretty dated graphics and it's not as bad now. I was talking to Heather and Aaron when we were watching it like I didn't find the graphics that dated. I mean sure today it would maybe be more of an explosion but I, I don't know if it was intentional or if they just like Aaron was saying they probably worked with um Brighton. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly ILM was involved with some of this as far as special effects are concerned. Yeah, so maybe it was because of that relationship, but there wasn't a ton that was bad dated. Like, I liked the glitter. No. I thought it was fun. It seemed like the sculpture of her was practical, which I think yeah, it did. practical it, age yeah. is a ton better I than agree with you. whatever technology of the day is. Because, I mean, stuff that's breaking edge in 2020 is probably going to look like shit by 2050. The only two moments that were really just a little off for me, kind of visually, was anytime they kind of floated too long on Binks's face as he's talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the actual like black flame graphic. Yes. But for <laughs> for this being a Disney movie from the early 90s, it's pretty good. Like it still looked better than a lot of stuff I've seen recently. Yeah. And a lot of the effects are practical. Like, you know, the book is a prop. That scene when Billy Butcherson like comes out of the grave and he like spits moths out. Like those are actual like stuff in Doug Jones' mouth that he like spits out rather than like CG bugs you know there's lots yeah. of neat like practical gags like that yeah and to y'all's point earlier about the movie having a sense of realism the amount of actual costumes and effects and everything in this movie are pretty great as far as effects go, one thing that we did debate and talk about afterward was the very end where Winifred turns into a statue. 
dot, dot, dot. And then the rest of them explode into glitter. And we were debating, wait, why did she turn into a statue? Oh, wait, they said earlier they can't set foot on hallowed ground. So our headcanon became she set foot on hallowed ground at the end and became the statue. She essentially turned into like a headstone and then exploded into glitter because the sunrise. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, both Heather and I were like, but wait, she's on hallowed ground. They said she couldn't be on hallowed ground. Like it took us a little bit after the statue and the glitter to be like, oh, <laughs> she turned to stone once she was on the hallowed ground. Yeah. Yeah. Heather did yeah. try to hand wave it away and just be like, hey, don't worry about it. It's plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't. They didn't yeah, think it that. became it became clear afterward. Yeah, I think Thackeray being able to talk in modern day, but not in the past, it's probably that soul plot hole. Probably if you if you thought really hard about this movie, there are a lot of plot holes. Does the movie sort of meander in the middle? Yeah, like do they need to go to the school and try to burn the witches in the kiln? Yeah, no. which really. by the way, I, I forgot that they did that. I, I even made this comment to Savannah. I was like, they just murdered three people, like, and we're like celebrating it. <laughs> See, I would argue that the kiln scene is very necessary because I did like the way that Allison got to put that together. So she kind of has a moment of agency, and I thought that was cool. But I love, love, love that they have a French tape and they get them in the kiln and they're like, woohoo, we won, and they're all excited. And then when Bette Midler steps out and she's like, Hello, I would like my book. Bonjour. I would like my book in French. <laughs> like that part made me laugh <laughs> so hard. <laughs> like, I was like, I accept all of this for that one joke that she says it the way the French tape did. You know what? She probably did that yeah. shit ad lib <laughs> and it was just too perfect to like change. Probably so, yeah. Yeah. So this movie was critically panned. It was a box office bomb. And, you know, I've gone back and read some articles about this movie getting ready for this and a lot of the articles have been like yeah this movie is definitely beloved now it's still not that good and like maybe that's true but that's not necessarily a question I'm interested in like I don't care if this movie is good or not Mm -hmm. there's a lot about it to love it's very charming like you were talking about feels like that Halloween warm blanket so is it a great movie it's a movie I like and that's enough to that point to support my wonderful wife we watched both Evil Dead 1 and 2 recently because I got the fancy 4k fucking set I wouldn't say that either of those movies are you know good in air quotes they are very DIY handmade low budget you can see all the seams but like they're fun they're charming they're entertaining and that's all you really need to like enjoy a movie so like sure take your super criticisms about like plot holes and all that other bullshit but like just have fucking fun that's the thing like i can stand plot holes in clever fun well written movies like well written from like a charming character standpoint i can't stand plot holes in terrible movies that are also failing at everything else (laughs) they're trying to do or or movies that take themselves too seriously Mm -hmm. too seriously exactly yes Yeah. yeah looking at you DCU (laughs) (laughs) there is so much to love here and there is so much that's done with care you know something we were talking about when we were watching it together were the costumes and how well the costumes were designed and how they set the three sisters apart so well and Danny's witch costume how like cute that is but it's like something that a real kid would wear and just so much love was put into the design of the movie and it's genuinely funny yeah we genuinely laughed the whole time Probably my favorite gag in the movie, I think, is Kathleen and Jimmy getting on the vacuum cleaner yeah. yes. instead of the broom. <laughs> 
it's as it's going, like as she's flying, the vacuum cleaner is on and like actually like Yeah, yeah that that got me pretty good too. And then later in the graveyard when they like drag her by yes. the vacuum cord. <laughs> it's a bit in every single episode of Till Death Do Us Blart, the eternal Paul Blart podcast that the McElroys do with the guys from Worst Idea of All Time. And they always go back to this one scene in Paul Blart Mall Cop Two of the rest of the movie is garbage, but there's this one scene where a guy named Myrtle eats a really old banana and it's disgusting and that's the whole bit and they say you can take that scene and put it in any other movie and it elevates that movie to a higher standard and I would argue that Hocus Pocus you take the Sanderson sisters same actors Jimmy Sarah Jessica Parker Beth Midler these Sanderson sisters you put them in any movie and it automatically makes that movie better but Hocus Pocus is also delightful all around them as well yeah with all the side characters and like the three children are actually pretty good child performances yes see I would even go up to bat as saying like I just think that the critics are wrong in this you know I'm not one of those people that's like a contrarian like oh the critics love this movie that means must mean it's overrated I do see the value of professional critics with movies but every once in a while they are just wrong about cult classics like this one I would argue this is actually a good movie not just a movie that we like as a nostalgia bomb just from the performances alone you could throw out the fucking plot and everything else about it like the characters and the performances alone make it a good movie yeah and I think that people get kind of lost in the I don't think that Hocus Pocus is art but it's absolutely everything that makes a good movie it's entertainment you know it is absolutely entertainment 100% but at the end of the day like isn't that its own art form like yeah to be entertaining there has to be like something there pop art yeah which I love pop art yeah (laughs) I argue that pro wrestling is an art form so like I have a high tolerance for like things that can be classified as art yeah I've always considered myself a craftsperson in the art that I do so I'm weird about applying an art label to things mostly because art school assholes who like tell you things aren't art but yeah actually I will say this one made me think of my favorite movie probably ever The Mummy which I think I talked about the last time I was on the podcast y'all gotta do a mummy episode well we'll do it yeah the reason why I thought of it actually was because of the whole 90s vibe but also the part at the end when Allison wants to open the book to figure out a way to turn Thackeray from a cat to a young hottie again and she goes nothing bad's gonna happen if you read a book and in my notes for this I wrote in all caps apparently a lot of harm comes from reading books (laughs) just that whole like no harm ever came from reading a book and I was like how many movies where we read a book we shouldn't have read so one thing that was really subtle that I did think was actually like pretty good screenwriting and filmmaking and it's only referred offhand once or twice or shown visually her almost kind of being like a modern day witch even at one point one of the Sanderson sisters called her like oh you're a little smart white witch aren't you that whole Mm -hmm. beginning scene where like she hands Max back his phone number and then she throws like a red hood over herself as she's walking away and like she makes comments that like her family kind of ran that museum of the old Sanderson sisters house for a while like it's very subtly done that like yeah she actually is has some like witchiness to her too yeah she's kind of inheriting that legacy yeah she shows it more from her actions rather than oh here you go here's a modern day witch well i think a through line you know if you're thinking about this movie the mummy if you're thinking about other movies from our childhoods that we still really like and that we still really think about one line that runs through all those movies that they are movies who take time
time to develop characters that we're interested in and makes us really care about those characters. So you get to know Max and Danny and Allison, just like you get to know the characters in The Mummy, you get to know the sisters. And when you have characters that you can really care about and those characters are doing fun and interesting things, it doesn't quite matter if not everything makes sense 100% or it doesn't quite matter if, you know, maybe some of the plot meanders a little bit. You're invested in those characters. You want to watch what happens to them and it's something that you can come back to time and time and again because you like spending time with those people and I think you know the most successful entertaining movies are always movies that make you care about those characters yeah which is this movie does that well I agree with that yeah, that's a great point because something about the mummy and even more so even this movie, I'm not kidding. Like when I said earlier, just waste no time and like explaining stuff and then throwing like these character moments at you. But like, even if the plot is kind of like, whatever, YOLO, each scene adds to the group dynamic or the character dynamics. None of these scenes are like waste of time of why was this a line of dialogue? Why did this character like waste their time doing this? Every scene felt like it had a purpose, even in Hocus Pocus, yeah. which is not. It's something you see even in well-made movies nowadays. Yeah. Right. yeah, and even characters like like we were talking about how much we enjoy the scenes with the parents. That doesn't happen in a lot of these kids' movies, but the parents are funny in their own right, and they clearly care about their kids, and there's fun stuff happening with everybody And they're in cool it. as fuck. <laughs> this movie respects everybody that's in it, which is nice. Right. Yeah. I think one of my favorite lines that did make me laugh aloud was when Max first comes home without his shoes, and the mom goes, was he not wearing shoes? And the dad like peeks around the corner and goes, maybe it's a form of protest. (laughs) That was such a like parents not understanding their kids lines, but it was just a plus, a plus writing. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to say about the sisters is that Sarah Jessica Parker reminded me so much of Tara Reid from Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) I actually had to watch Josie and the Pussycats right after I watched this because it's the same performance, but more sexual in Sarah Jessica Parker's case. Yeah. yeah. And more like, I hate using this term because I think it gets thrown out around a little too much, but she really is like manic pixie girl in this movie. My favorite part is like after they were on the bus with the bus driver and she's like sitting in his lap and like he's letting her drive the bus and she's just having the time of her life. And the bus driver's like begging her to stay like, oh, can I get your number at least? Like blah, blah. And the fucking funniest, the lines she was saying to him is just, you like me now, but you would regret that it by the morning. That would hate me in the morning. Yeah, that, that would hate, hate me in the morning. And that's like, such a funny line but also probably true it would end with him being fucking soup basically (laughs) (laughs) i mean if we're gonna go off what they did to other lovers like probably turning one into the book and then what happened to billy being fucking buried alive or whatever it was with with his mouth sewn shut that bus driver is gonna get turned into like a new pair of leather boots or something (laughs) yeah and then the one aside again i I just love the bullies for how like over the top 90s tm bullies they are (laughs) they encounter the Sanderson sisters at one point and call them ugly chicks and then the next scene has them fucking hanging in cages (laughs) over the cauldron and they're being tormented by the other two sisters and I thought that was such a fun scene cut they're just left in the cage even in the end of the movie them and their dirty socks just hanging there (laughs) Heather and I disagree about the socks I think that it is realistic in movies for people to have dirty socks because most people have have dirty socks because you walk around in them on the ground and especially those it's two fucking numbskulls you know they would have dirty socks yeah i do love how max kind of just leaves them to die in that one seat basically <laughs> he gets his shoes back and is like peace yeah. takes his shoes back
back and then runs and they're left hanging in the cage. Max is kind of an asshole, like I've been saying. Yeah. I will say, though, the whole credit scene where it jumps immediately from this really heartwarming, like, gates of heaven scene uh, to the parents leaving the party and then the two bullies just in cages. That was still, like chef's yeah. kiss perfect. Yes. Yeah. It left enough of an opening for a sequel with the book, like, opening its eye again. Yes. Which supposedly is finally now in development. Yeah. And hopefully they get the original cast back. Just bring back the three of them. So on that note, there have been talks of sequels and remakes circulating for uh, years. Don't remake it. Don't no remake it. Make a sequel. I think that has passed. There was a moment where like, oh no, we're not going to do a sequel. We're going to do a remake. And at that point, Bette Midler and Kathy Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker were all three just like, yeah, cool. Uh, we are not going to endorse this. And I think they backpedaled. Because now, as of last October, the plan is to do a sequel for Disney Plus that is going to be written by Jen D'Angelo and directed by Adam Shankman. So let's see where things go from there. What has Jen D'Angelo done? Jen D'Angelo was a writer on Cougar Town, Workaholics, Happy Together. She was also a producer for Workaholics and Happy Together. She is also an actress and she was in stuff like Cougar Town and Workaholics. So it sounds like most of her output is workaholics, which take that kind of humor and apply it to this movie. Okay, I'm interested, I guess. Adam Shankman specifically has done a bunch of different stuff. And I think like he's maybe a pretty good fit for this project specifically. He did some of Glee. He did Rock of Ages. He did Modern Family. Bedtime Stories, Hairspray, Cheaper by the Dozen, The Pacifier, Bringing Down the House. He did A Walk to Remember. The wedding planner, like he's done like a lot of those last two. I love those last two. <laughs> yeah, so I think he would probably be a pretty good fit for the tone of the movie. I mean, but even something like Modern Family, which kind of skirts that line of like PG to PG 13 humor, yeah. but yeah. is also like family friendly for everybody, like that's the kind of energy you would want to bring to like a Hocus Pocus sequel, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would love to see a sequel happen. I think that would be great. As we're coming to a close here, I think I just want to hit home that this movie is a kind of movie that I wish we had more of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree with you. If you have a young kid in your life, this is a perfect introduction for like an elementary age student to like horror and spooky things. And you know, there are a lot of horror movies for adults. There are a lot of horror movies for teenagers, but there aren't that many that are really directed gateway at horror. kids. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think we need more gateway horror. Aaron and I went and saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark when it was in theaters I think last year and that was definitely a horror movie for kids and we definitely enjoyed it from that standpoint felt like it was really successful at that and I want to see more movies in that vein that sort of welcome kids in to this big horror community at their level and they can see things that appeal to them and they enjoy and kind of get a taste for it as they grow up yeah yeah, I feel like we had a lot of that in the 90s with Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark yeah. and this and then Halloween Town, which was like the Disney Channel original movie that was trying <laughs> yeah. to steal some vibes from this movie, <laughs> but I also still really liked a lot. I, I, I like Halloween Town as well, at least yes. the first one. Yeah. <laughs> But we had a lot of that going on, like, when we were growing up. But yeah, when Heather's sister was growing up, and then now with my nieces and nephews, there's a lot less of that. 
going on, which I would love more of it. Right. And I think this movie shows that if you do it well, it can be beloved long after, you know, it came out. This movie is a movie that didn't do well when it came out and has only gained more steam as it's gone along. And so, you know, it can be beloved. It can be profitable. There's clearly an audience for it. So I would love to see more movies like this. Yeah, definitely. Well, and and they got Bette Midler. And, you know, for goddamn fact, she has a song number in this. She sings (laughs) Put a Spell on You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fucking Screaming Jay hawkins man love that dude no matter who covers it no matter how it's covered that song always kicks ass yeah right all right so i think there's only one thing left to say and that is mm, bye bye (laughs) come little listeners i'll take thee away one more side since i kind of sang that little bit that is actually kind of a little haunting, I will say, oh, yeah. in the movie. Of just like her singing that and basically like brainwashing the children. That's James Horner. Yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, James Horner. He was supposed to do the score as a whole, got too busy, but he still wrote that one little kind of melody for her. It's a great scene. Yeah, right. Yeah, James Horner is great. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, that is it. That is our Halloween episode for this year's season of Spoop. Definitely check this movie out. It is definitely on D+. It is probably also on Hulu, definitely, since that is also Disney-owned. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Check out Hocus Pocus. This movie's a blast. Big thanks to our three guests this week. Again, Lauren, Crystal, and my lovely wife, Heather. Yay. So that is it. Thank y'all for listening. Check out all of our episodes at every podcatcher at this point, including apparently Amazon, which now does podcasts. Da, da, da. Yeah, that's the newest one we've been on, headed to. Yeah, <laughs> they're swallowing all of our souls. <laughs> so yeah, check us out at all those places. Uh, leave reviews specifically at Apple Podcasts because that's the one that gets the algorithms actually going. Big thanks again to my little brother Jesse for doing the bumps at the beginning and end of every episode, uh, specifically the season of spoop one that we're yep. doing right now it's great shit yeah it fucking kicks ass yep check out his stuff at Bandcamp as well under party gator and also big clown right now as well too that's uh pretty much it any final thoughts happy halloween and remember it's all just a bunch of hocus pocus come little sallies i'll take <laughs> thee away into my spooky murder house come little sallies it's time to come play i'll turn you into an apron (laughs) nice (laughs) sally (laughs) gotta get in that sally